Begin transmission. Transmission. Art of war. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network. Presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Art of War podcast. This is a special one because we are now officially on our own and have left the Frontline Gaming Network. We are starting our own network. We still love our friends over at Frontline. We wish them the best. No hard feelings there. It's just time that our channel is growing off into on and bigger and better things. So you can find our new stuff on our website, theartofwar4dk.com. And uh, that's where we also have part two is where we go into the deep, awesome tactics of our lists. Here we have a good friend of mine, Brad Chester, one of our Art of War coaches, and an old-time Captain America man, Team Sean. Sean Naden mm-hmm. has won his uh, another GT, the first one back since the COVID times, first major, with uh, the weirdest elder list I think I've ever seen in my life. So Sean actually beat me in the finals, so we're here to talk about how all that went down, how his list ticks, and Mr. Brad Chester here is here to uh, help ask the hard-hitting questions and bring us home. Chester, how are you doing tonight? I, I'm I'm hitting the I'm, I'm apparently a hard hitting journalist ready to break ground. That's what we got you for. That's what you're here, Mr. Sean. How are you? Oh, I'm doing really good. Exhausted. I think I only slept three hours. I I, I made bad travel plans after that event, Nick. I made bad travel plans. <laughs> the sacrifices <laughs> you make to be an adult, right? But yeah, it uh it didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you made it home safe and sound. So that's always great. Um, but seriously, though, you you have done quite a lot in your 40k career. You know, you you've won LVO, you've won most major tournaments, Captain Team America multiple years, first Team America win. Like you are no stranger to the celebrity status scene over here, and you're always running these off the wall Eldar armies that no one understands except and somehow they still work. And this was no different, right? We got really janky stuff in here, so we want to get to the bottom of this. So why don't you tell us uh, what your list was? All right, you're gonna make me pull up the old uh, battle scribe because sometimes I forget. In my, old, in my, in my I, old age, I forget like I, I can all the units if I can't look at them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I ran uh, a Yonari Drakari detachment and a Craft World Eldar detachment. Um, almost a 50 50 split down the line with them. So my Craft World detachment was a spearhead and it was. Expert crafters, and I believe it's called Masters of Concealment, whatever gives them cover every all the time outside 12 inches. And then in that detachment, I have the Farseer that everybody loves with uh, Doom and Executioner, and he's on a jet bike, Farseer Scar Runner. And I have the Avatar of Kane, who I love. And there was actually three of them at, at that most recent tournament. It was pretty, pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But I had three units of Dark Reapers, three guys each, one of being one of those three being an Exarch with Rapid Shot. They all just had the base Reaper Launcher. And then I had two Wraith Seers, both of whom had D cannons, and both of them had the Psychic Power uh, Protect slash Jinx. And then in my Yanari detachment, I had um, an Archon with... The Warlord trait, Walker of Many Paths, which allows you to regenerate CP. And the Relic uh, Sword. I don't know what it's called. Hungering Blade, maybe? Uh, that sounds Yunari enough. Um, I had Evrain with Gaze of You Need and Shield of You Need. Uh, five Witches with the plus two movement drug. Uh, Beastmaster, three Razorwing Flocks. Beastmaster had the Toughness drug. Incubi, eight of them, one of them being the Clavex with Demi-Claves, 15 Hellions, two Urgles in a Court of the Archon, a Ravager with Disintegrator Cannons, and a Raider with a Dark Lance. So. How did you feel about the craft word traits that you chose? I mean, expert crafters are kind of like the go-to for everything, but did you feel you get like you got super value out of the Stealthy? You had, we've been bouncing that around a little bit. You had talked before the tournament about several choices and then went with that. Did you feel that that ended up being 
like just super money? Did you give super value out of it? Or did you wish you had anything else? <clears throat> I mean, the thing with choices like that, right? You're, I feel like that choice is almost, it's for a couple different things. I thought it was just kind of a troll to a couple armies because of the wraith years and how, uh, how tough they are to kill and just to make them a little even tougher. Like if I got to play Admech or somebody with um, their disintegrators on those scorpistic disintegrators only neg one, and then the, the Wraith Seers could, since they ignore AP negative one, would still just have a two up save. So you could do some funky things with them. Um, the always having cover was is useful for the Dark Reapers as well. Uh, because they're just so far back that even just a couple random shots, even somebody shooting them with like neg two weapons, they just have four ups and you could just spike a couple. And it's just aggravating when Dark Reapers don't die um, and continue to shot or one of them dies or even two and the Exarch still is pounding downrange with his rapid shot uh, Reaper launcher. So um, ignore cover is also a, a one that could have been useful instead. It, it gets you more value when Marines are hiding in terrain, but it was just a toss up between those two. And I went with the, the defensive one because I felt it covered some matchups that may or may not have been harder than regular. Um, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. It's really, I was thinking that, you know, the go-to is pretty much expert crafters and, uh, ignore, and uh, ignore his cover because it's just pure offense. But you have the race seers, and they're also interested in living, so it's a real choice for them. And like you said, it's not negligible in those Dark Reapers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more curious, though, before we get into the specifics of those individual choices, which we'll definitely do, but what was the vision for this army's play style on the table? Like, just it looks like a pile of units. You know, the incubi can probably go in the raider. There's a solo ravager that's always good. Nine reaper shoots. There's an avatar. No idea what he does. Fifteen hellions. I haven't seen those since like 2014. What is what's going on here? Um, <sighs> as in all things, my lists don't always begin with a. Uh, this is the most efficient way to kill. Do that type of deal. So I think maybe a couple months ago, I was right after the FAQ that allowed fire and fade to work to get into vehicles, right? When we had that change in the game, I tested out the nine Dark Reapers fire and fading <laughs> into a wave serpent just to see if like how powerful it was. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, thoughts that it was just like broken. And I played with a couple of games and I, it like didn't fit my style like at all. And I, I I actually had like very terrible games, had some losses with the list, and I was just like, I felt like really like down about how I was playing 40k. And whenever mm-hmm. I feel down, I do something radical to make myself feel better. And uh, one of those things is to put the avatar into a list because he just he just makes me <laughs> feel really good. <laughs> and he makes me he makes me feel really happy. And uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, all three of us, right, have really high win percentages uh, in 40k, in competitive 40k. But if uh, if you track my avatar win rate, it's actually like it's significantly higher than my regular win rate. Like, <laughs> placebo <laughs> placebo. <laughs> this is the Brad Chester theory. <laughs> and so, but I put him in the list, and I was like, you know, it's and then it's a confidence play where I was like. I, I almost backed out of it at one point, but I was like, I posted it a lot of places that I was bringing the avatar. So I was like, no, he's got to stay in. And then when I started playing with him, you know, then I'm like, oh, he has this play. He has this, he can do this. And so that's where that guy came into the list um, again in ninth edition. And the Hellions were, the Hellions are a unit I love. Uh, I think the models are really great. I think the idea of them, like the potential with all that damage too, is really wonderful uh, and they're obviously i think they're one of the most dark elder units to me they like symbolize that whole army and the fact that they can hit like a freight truck but you 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 blow and they disappear pretty much like well, why, don't you, why don't you walk me through them because i think they're a unit that really no one even knows about it's been so long since anyone's actually seen dark reapers on the table like what do they do these days you mean Hellions? Hellions? Yeah. Sorry, Hellions. Hellions. I was just yeah. saying, it, it's because no one's ever seen Hellions in the table. Well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> there were several times in 8th edition where I really wanted to like paint them, and tournaments usually help motivate me to paint my army. Um, and so I kept, like, there was, like, I think three or four moments, like, whenever a points change came out in 8th, where I was like, is now the time? And then I'd be like, nah, they just don't fit. But I felt they did fit to cover a couple matchups, 
in the current state of 40k um specifically for me of demon large monsters like basically everything that's not mortarian but like keepers of secrets lords of change magnus that kind of thing are actually something that the rest of my list sort of struggles with um and so i felt just including them could give me some extra you know oomph to get through that and they have they i think they're really good against harlequins as well um just because they can go in and beat up two transports and because of their big bases and a big squad really quick on those guys because you took you also took the plus one attack drug on them specifically for uh, going against those big creatures and stuff like that so they they've got that hellglaive which is two damage and then they have the splinter plot with two two shots the two yeah so they're a pretty versatile unit you can do some funky things with fire and fade because they have 18 inch guns and they move 14 so you can get you can scoot around the board quite a bit with them and again because of the big bases they're on 32 millimeters and the big squad is a unit i ran 15 and I, at in testing at various points i was running between 15 and 20 um you can wrap up transports and you know kill the guys inside force your opponent to pay the cp to get out six inches and lose extra guys um you can do some just funky things with the unit um which is just really useful i think in 40k just to present different platforms and different um abilities Mm -hmm. so just to get just to make sure i'm grasping what this unit is it's a unit of like fast moving but very fragile uh just mass two damage ap nothing attacks right that just gets delivered wherever you kind of need it to be how do you get that across the table because you know it's so it's like toughness three five up armor like how does this do anything um in some games i'll deep strike them into like a advantageous position and just wait um behind obscuring terrain or you know just again piggyback from obscuring terrain to obscuring terrain if you can advance right because they're assault guns you can advance a turn get guns into range of somebody and then fire and fade to even just get that extra seven inch movement they can scoot from terrain piece to terrain piece pretty effectively Mm-hmm. And then, so you're not looking to just jam them down your opponent's face like turn one. You're really trying to pick and no. choose your battles at the right moment. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, they, they can't stand up to any, like basically most any form of counterattack um, decimates them <laughs> to a large <laughs> degree. <laughs> I think you're, you're in our game. Your plague marines, just five plague marines, rolled like bananas, and they just like poof killed like eight of them yeah, <laughs> like just one. attack backs in combat because you tagged me <laughs> yeah uh, uh, it's that's that's the life they live um now i have some ways to sometimes make them a little bit more uh survivable because i do have the uh five up invul uh aura psychic power from Ivraine, so i can sometimes set that up to be honest though i've cast it maybe twice in like 18 games like is because she they have to stay near her it's but it's very situational and every once in a while i have used it the two times i have used it it has been you know valuable but it's it's just very situational it's better to to play your angles i think eighth uh ninth edition with the increases of terrain and the obscuring rules are really about playing angles very well uh with your units to deny um to deny shooting to deny charges just being really smart with that yeah, I would definitely agree. The angle game, I think, is more prominent now than it's pretty much ever been. And that makes units like the three-man reapers, the ravager, units like that get angles really, really effectively and I, I, can use move, angles to live very effectively. I want to move this over to the dark reapers because I've been getting trolled for about a month now with uh, how people sending me pictures of aliens uh, pretty much on a weekly basis that taunt me. So uh, I want to focus on these dark reapers. Let's talk about these dark reapers. Yeah, Sean, you were saying how the nine man or the ten man fire and fading wasn't doing it for you. What was wrong with that, and why did you go for the three by three? So it, it really does come down to the angles. What I found with the nine man, right, is that a one, they're all in the same spot, so they all have the same sight lines, and two, they have to fire at the same time. So if you're like, oh, I want to split fire, I want to fire three three three. And then the first three doesn't kill the target. And you're like, man, I really wish I sh- could have fired two more there or three more there. The nine just doesn't do that. It doesn't have options. Whereas the three by three not only makes better use of rapid shot for basically a free couple extra shots um, for the same points, 
but also better use of expert crafters. Now you don't need guide on your Farseer at all. You don't really need Doom um, against most targets. Every once in a while, you cast Doom, but Doom is like my afterthought power for the most part. Usually I'm Smite Executioner just using him as a as a mortal wound bot, or and occasionally if I'm like, oh, I really want Doom, maybe I'll spend the CP to get the third power off or something like that. But Doom isn't usually on my priority list to cast it because the Dark Reavers themselves are just super efficient with the with the expert crafters in the minimum squads. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense to me, yeah. I, I really want to focus on one thing that I saw. I watched a lot of the games over the weekend. Uh, again, congrats to both you guys, you know, getting to the finals there. And I really, really think, to me, what watching the games and looking over everything, I felt that the two Wraith Seers, with the way you played, were like the secret sauce that kept this whole roster together because you kept using that Wraith Seer the Raceers over and over again. I mean, obviously for their damage with that D cannon and everything, but you kept using it to protect characters and, you know, basically take objectives and basically move your characters around. And it felt like them, you know, not being characters like they were in the past, just a heavy slot. Now they, they felt like they were just holding a lot of the things together. I saw you using the Beastmaster around and the Farseer just so much. Were you always, was that part of your game plan? Like when you first made the list or was it just, through playtesting, you know, but they just, you know, they always just happen to be in the right places. Kind of tell me what you were, you know, thinking and how things went, because I saw you do it so much over the weekend. Yeah, so I tr- I was testing out D cannons for a little bit, and the potential, the damage, the ability to move and shoot heavy weapons because of vehicles and all that was great. And I loved the two D cannons, but something that kept happening in testing is somebody would string the one dude over there, like one Harlequin bike, and that stumbled out of like the bar fight and like would touch them and then it was two cp to make one of them shoot and the other one doesn't shoot and the problem with the platforms themselves was they deployed together and decans are such short range is that i couldn't ever really separate them a lot um because like turn one that to get range together they'd probably both have to move in a straight line so they'd still be next to each other and then they'd kind of be stuck behind terrain and stuff and it was really frustrating um the nonsense that would touch them. So I looked at Raceers and I was like, well, no one's going to touch them. No one wants that noise. Like they have strength 10 D three plus three damage attacks in close combat. You're not going to stumble in and be like my one jet bike touched them because that dude's just dead. <laughs> and like, it's just facts. So, so I put those two in the list and started to, to work around with that. Um, and it was a great option to bodyguard like any of the characters could float into one or another but usually i'd always have one it'd be like a combo the the avatar and one of them would definitely usually be like best pals walking around and then the other one would be either hanging back or you know and characters would shift in and off him for protection if they weren't getting protected by the raider or um the ravager or something like that so your army, now that I you describe it, I, I described it after having played you, like it was like fighting air. And the reason I said that is because there's no target to fight. There's no like, this is the unit of Dark Angel Terminators. There's no like, there's 20 Vanguard vets and just got to get started. It's, uh, there's just Dark Reapers plinking away at you, characters you can't really shoot. Everything else is like fire and fading or just like quick. There's no, there's nothing to attack, but you are slowly getting depleted through ignore line of sight D cannons and weird angle dark reapers and ravager shots. Is that kind of how you envisioned it playing? Is that how most games went for you? Or is that just my weird experience? Well, that's the thing. I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback and questions and it certainly comes down to a lot of like matchups and how the meta is in 40 K right now. But people were like, well, how do you keep three by three dark reapers alive? And for the most part, like I sacrificed one in our game, right? That you were able to pick up, um, but you had to use like a strat on a flamer to extend your range just to do it, right? Yeah, um, I just did it. But in most of my games, I only lose like maybe one or two like models out of the Dark Reapers a lot of times. Like, well, I I remember back in uh, Eighth Edition when I won LVO, and this was like you know forever ago, back when Cavemen ruled the world. I uh, I used the three by three Reapers in my Inari build, and it was a different time. But like, yeah, they didn't really die. Like the stuff that can shoot forty eight inches, 
doesn't really exist now. Like it's just not that common. Things like Thunderfires and Roland Scorpiuses. Um, so you can kind of just outrange most of your threats. The game is very close range right now. Right. And and I keep them very, very far back and you know, split up to take advantage of angles. And at the end of the day, you can always set yourself up. There's such a small feature. You're like, I can see the target I want to see. Nobody can see me, you know, this turn or for like two of your units maybe and then the third unit maybe exposes themselves to get a better shot but then can use fire and fade to just reset um so you have tons of little options there to just not be shot and you're super far back usually pretty much operating at max range um until safety is is established um and that's a that's a priority i take in a lot of games because i think that the dark reapers are a backbone unit in my list um for the most part so i usually prioritize the threats to them first um, when you say dark reapers are the backbone of your army makes me so happy inside right and it's so if you like in we reference our in our game nick i i removed your long range firepower in turn one and then now it's it's easy to keep the dark the rest of the dark regrets alive because you're never going to interact with them ever again. Um, yeah, and I, I want to stress, I guess, also in our game, just to talk about how much you will prioritize getting rid of long range guns. Let, let's talk about your farseer and the adventure he went on on the turn king. one. The king, <laughs> the, the adventures of the king, adventures <laughs> the farseer. Like this is to the depths. Like this story will tell you the depth Sean is willing to go. Is it? Is this an epic tale? Um, this is your tale to tell. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you looked at both games I did on stream, I YOLO'd my Farseer like 22 inches forward in both both games on stream. And that's not a usual thing, but it is. Um, our game was interesting um, tactically because of that, because the tournament was locked up at that point. You and I were so far ahead of everybody else. There was one undefeated player behind us, but there was no point. And I knew the secondaries I was going to take and pretty much what you were going to take, right, was um, while we stand, we fight, which is something I take actually a lot and catches people off guard, I think, um, because it makes the Hellions, people are like, well, they're super fragile. I'm like, sure, but if I just sit in the back or deep strike and then sit in the corner, like, what are you going to do? That's five points. And then they sometimes will spring on something that it's exposed. But everything else in the army is expendable to serving your goals, which I think is the coolest thing about ninth edition. It's like, you're just sacrificing plays for points constantly or sacrificing for board position or for creativity. So in our game, I felt very strongly that two dark reapers and a ravager could kill one dreadnought. So I had that set up on one side and I think the math supports that. Um, and then I had one unit of dark reapers and one D cannon and that was swingy for the other dreadnought. So I wanted to get some mortals off on him, and so I sent the Farseer uh, 22 inches forward and incidentally got engaged on all fronts with it, which was great, because <laughs> otherwise I couldn't have gotten it that turn. But uh, I wasn't even thinking about it when I put him there. I was just trying to get him into smite range of this Dreadnought. It's just interesting to me that you you know your army so well that you're confident in the plays like two Dark Reapers and a Ravager will kill us Dreadnought. I've done this math a thousand times. I've done it before. And like I know the D Cannon can swing, so an extra couple wounds from a Smite and an Executioner, like that could be the difference, and that's going to open up the opportunities for my Dark Reapers to control the rest of the game from there, so it's worth sacrificing turn one. It's just that line of thinking is something I'm trying to get at. Like, How do you come up with that? Like I said, like no unit, like most people would be like, hey, you want your Farseer to be alive the whole game, right? Putting out mortals, that's great. But once your Dreadnoughts were dead, the game, something I always try to do in all, your, in all my games, right, is you try to create an advantage. If you're, if you're the better shooting army, which my army outshoots yours, right? You try to push that advantage to like the extreme, and by removing the dreadnoughts in that in that full swing, you basically became a army with no shooting, facing an army at full shooting. And we were playing at that point hammer and anvil, um, w with how we had rotated the board. That you know you have to come all the way down range into just guns and just take them over and over and over again. Um, so I felt that it was the right the right time to just 
make an aggressive move with the Farseer and just see what happens. Like, yeah, definitely. Especially because, as you said, you there's no point in playing safely in what would otherwise be a drawing match, and you need to actually win. You know, like you can look for the advantage to put yourself ahead, and you saw it on turn one. Yeah, watching the game, I thought that that was just completely the thing that that changed this from a a draw coin flip you know at the end to slowly kind of having the advantage and leveraging the advantage in that game yeah well i'll I'll be honest i don't want to reel the whole podcast about just this one game but like i was assuming like my dreadnoughts were like relatively they're pretty much behind a wall in my deployment zone i was like they're not really going to get shot turn one it's going to be okay i didn't take shots with them so i expect not to be shot back that's kind of the way my brain works and then uh, you know, I wasn't being super respectful of every potential angle, and I figured even if Sean stresses out to get angles, he'll get like one Reaper squad on one dreadnought, one Reaper squad on the other. But then the D cannon out of nowhere, the Farseer flying twenty-two inches. Sometimes you you can punish players' assumptions, like you know, you assume you're safe, but you didn't actually check. It's really easy to catch people off guard if you're looking on that. Yeah, that's something that um, I think I always. My lists are always weird, right? They always get commented on as being odd and strange and all those things. They always still do have like solid fundamentals in the back end. And maybe my fundamentals are always odd or my priorities are always odd, but they do still have, you know, teeth, right? And I think this list and how it looks and how it looks even just like sitting there as a list, how it looks sitting there next to you on the table and before deployment, it looks maybe the most awkward of any list i've ever assembled like it looks awkward um and i think even you said after our game like i i underestimated the firepower and the punch of the list and that's a common thing that i've run into with a bunch of opponents playing playing this style i have a question like because looking through your matches i wasn't surprised that you won these matches i was however surprised at how this list decided to give up so few points to your opponents in a lot of boards that were very open on the on the middle had a lot of you know good terrain in the in the back end and deployment and some of the edges but had a very open middle how did you go about stopping so many players from getting hardly any battle points you had games where your opponent scored eight game where your opponent scored 10 another game i think where somebody got 20 so, you know what I mean? You had some games where you just really shut people down uh, in the tournament. Yeah, so I had um, two very close games um, in terms of score. My game with Nick um, and the other Death Guard game. Uh, my round one was a very bad matchup um, on paper for me. All the Terminators and Morty. If Morty doesn't die on time, um, which he didn't in that game, it can get very dicey. Um, but in all the other games, the Marine matchups, the Harlequins, the Dark Eldar, I think they're all pretty much favorable for me. And then we played a lot of long board edges. A couple of those missions are just the, the when you need to hold twice to get five points, that mission can get very hard if somebody's willing to just shoot the just one squad them. and kill it on whatever, on one objective. And, you know, with Dark Reapers and the Ravager, you can always kind of delete that and really depress um, somebody's scoring. Um, so I think that was going on a lot. So would you say it's pretty much fair to say your army is just a, a very shooty army that has good counterpunch in terms of the Hellions and Incubi, and then it just controls the it scores and dictates the points really well. So like it's killing you, which obviously is its own problem, but then it's also with all your random birds and Urgles and Wraithseers and Wally Stands and all that jazz, you're scoring your points, depressing your opponent's points, and uh, killing them all at the same time. And they can't really fight back because your army is just 40 inches away at some obscure angle. Yeah, I'd say so. I think the Hellions and the Incubi, especially in the Raider, can just get to wherever you want to go and kind of you know sit and wait uh, for the opportunity to make their charge. Um, and the Incubi with Yonari are very deadly. The even without the new stats they're going to get that GW announced in whenever that was December or whatever that, you know, depressed me and make me wish that they were that. <laughs> um, the re- full reroll of wound from, from Yunari in combat, you know, just triggers so many of the sixes 
and the three damages and just can really pound something. Um, Mm-hmm. And then it's your only strength four, so you're going to be rolling against hard targets like yeah. ones, twos, threes, and fours most of the time. Yeah, exactly. So you like it almost is better right now. The bad incubi are better against Death Guard, for example, than the new incubi will be because they'll be strength mm-hmm. five and well, two damage. Any of the, the gravity <laughs> yeah. units, terminators, anything like that with three the three wounds, though. So yeah, you're picking stuff up. And I think it's a lot of what you said. It's not that you're trying to just drive this raider across the table and hope it gets there. You you put pressure on your opponent and just control areas of the board, like park the rider, raider behind a wall full of incubi, and it's within striking distance of like two objectives. So if anyone, like your reapers and ravagers can control two objectives because they're in the open. The ones near the terrain, your raider and hellions can control because if you go near it and to hide from the reapers and ravagers while you're scoring your points, the incubi are going to pounce on you. So it's it's almost like there's no safety spot for your opponent that can still score them points. Yep, and then either the incubi go in conjunction with um, the po- like the spear tip of my army. A lot of times is the avatar with his bodyguard, and the psychers kind of filter behind him and the second with the second race here. Who because if I choose while we stand, we fight, which I did in maybe three or four uh, of the games. It. It's the Avatar, one race here, and the Hellions. So the Hellions will usually deep strike in those situations and will wait for their opportunity that would be a safe opportunity to still bully something or kill something and pick objectives. But they're infantry, so they can still raise banners and do secondaries as well. So like, I don't find like a disvalue if that unit doesn't really kill anything in a game. Um, if they're scoring the wall we stand and maybe picking up some other secondary type options, I, that's fine with me. But the other spear of the army is the avatar. And the avatar is a very funny while we stand, we fight because the game has gotten smaller in the board and I played the avatar in eighth and I had success with him, but he would never really kill anything um, in eighth edition because the board was too big and people were too far away. But in ninth edition, the board is smaller and we actually have to be on objectives the whole game, right? So people get closer to you all the time and there's all these very popular combat armies and you can't kill the avatar when you want to you can only kill him when i want you to <laughs> why don't you walk us through this avatar because i don't I, no one understands what this guy does in your army but it's it's actually just i hate him giant <laughs> <laughs> cp of the avatar getting back up <laughs> yeah the thing is um Aside from the two CP, so I start with eight CP, right? Aside from the two CP to uh, reroll the wound with the incubi, which is probably going to happen in most every game. I'm not really, I don't really care to spend CP. I'll use it sometimes for a reroll on damage or reroll number of shots on a D cannon if I need some extra punch. You know, fire and fade here, and I have the CP regen guy, so I'm getting CP back. But I am down to spend six CP, something like that. Keep, keep the avatar standing back up. Like it's, it's totally this, okay it, with me. This is um, the avatar resurgence trap. For those of you who don't know, basically correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but after the avatar dies, you spend three CP and he just stands right back up. Is it full wounds? Is it, no. So it's, it's, and it's very, it's restrict, it's restrictive. So it's only in the fight phase. Um, so it's not all the time, but, and it's, but it's not restricted to how many times you can do it, but it's three CP. Uh, it's after your opponent, it's all their attacks are done. So it's not like the Phoenix gem where you have to keep, if you stand back up, you, 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 you keep getting punched in the face. It's literally after everything. So a unit attacks him, they kill him, whatever, all their attacks fit, get are finished. You pay the three, you pay the three CP. He stands back up with D six wounds, but he's still in combat. Like he's still there. He still gets to now punch you in the face. So, done. so he, he it creates this weird thing because um normally two combats are hard to do, right, Nick? Um, because somebody can always interrupt. There's some people have so much more CP in ninth. There's all sure. these deadly things there. So when I go in with the incubi or the hellions, obviously they have to fight first. They're fragile. They're both T3 units. Um, so they're always gonna fight first. But I have no problem sending the avatar into a combat in that same turn because you can interrupt. You just can't kill him. Like it just won't happen. I'm not uh, 
He'll just stand well, back up and still point. punch you. <laughs> yeah, that that's a real thing. Like have like I've played sisters and I play Harlequins and those armies. They hate the fact that interrupt is a strat and like there's no easy way around it. They're relatively fragile and when someone pays two CP, my second unit or pension dies. There's just no way around it. So it really limits the what kind of plays I can go for. And this is a great workaround for it. A lot of times I see players trying to shove in answers with fight lasts, which are hard to deliver sometimes. But you are just like, you know what? I don't care if I die because I'll just get right back up. Get right back up, keep punching. Um, and so it creates, and with how ongoing combats work, right? You can charge a hard target, fight, maybe kill a couple, say Terminators or whatever. Then they punch you, they kill you. Maybe they don't kill you. Like that's even better. It saves you CP if they just don't finish you that turn. And then on your opponent's turn, your opponent has the option to fall back and most likely do nothing They're, you know not everybody's eldar with a strat that, to fall back and do something not everybody's a harlequin um so all these marines chaos builds whatever they can fall back and do nothing well they can stay in combat where now the avatar will swing first and when i usually set this up i usually do it with like six cp so i can stand up when i charge you if you kill me and then stand up again when you fight and kill me after i've killed some more but um you know the avatar standing up twice in a game can be very just backbreaking to an opponent um, mm-hmm. so let me let me ask you this though you do have a very shooting based army which has a lot of combat punches the incubi the hellions the avatar and the rates here's but at the end of the day your army is hyper good at killing elite stuff which is awesome because we are in a really elite meta right like mm-hmm. d cannons reapers avatars race here's is all good at killing elite stuff if someone does just bust out like here's my 180 orcs do you think your army can handle that or is this just like it's super hyper tuned for death guard space marines that kind of meta no it can handle the orcs um it's just hypothetical about hordes in general not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. no no it, i i've yeah. because i played orcs um semi-recently with a earlier version of this list um the incubi with full rerolls to wound um get very close to a whole squad um if they were the new incubi they would get the whole squad almost um so you, you all you have to do is do a little bit of whittling on the first couple turns because you never want to give orcs for example the green tide ability so just a little bit of spraying into them keeping them above half so they can't green tide as they come across the board um and when they get there the avatar trick still works um it's and it it works in this way too because uh, a list I, I thought about that people were bringing down from like australia for example like the 60 possessed list for chaos mm-hmm. yeah um i think i could shoot one squad dead in a turn shoot and smite one squad dead i think i could combat one squad dead with the incubi and hellions or whatever um but I, you can't handle the third squad and then the third squad tables you right yeah that's pretty much the idea that's the idea of that list right yeah but the avatar doesn't care he's like i don't care if i die so you could so throw him into 30 boys. You can throw him into 20 possessed, and he just won't die, and he'll still be alive. Yeah, so they, they, they waste their turn. They, like, they can't fall back and beat up the rest of your army. They're stuck, and there's no way around it. Yeah, so you can speed bump and, and you know with the Avatar as well, not only against like elite stuff, uh, Marines, Death Guard, he can actually you know punish those squads because they're small and he does high damage, but against hordes you can just use him as a stopgap every once in a while to just be like all right i can deal with this blob and this blob move away from the rest of the army the third blob that's in my face because eventually hordes take up their own space as well they get in their own way you just take the third squad and go here here's the avatar um i've got the cp to support it um he'll be fine i'll deal with it next turn we haven't talked about some of the unsung heroes in the yanari detachment the Urgles, baby. <laughs> the Urgles and the Flocks just kind of, you know, the Flocks basically are sucking up smites and stuff for you and pushing people out. But tell us how you use those Urgles, man. Two 16-point infantry squads <clears throat> in your army. Now, if you were a regular person, you could probably do scramblers with the Urgles. They're really good at that. You know, one CP put one in reserve. It's really hard to screen out a one 25 millimeter base. I, I love how you started that with if you were a regular person. <laughs> like, I, I assume that was the answer. I like engage, scramble, that kind of thing. He's like, no, that's tier one. <laughs> However, I've uh, I've spent most of my COVID 40k time painting, and I've painted some 
gorgeous uh, freehand banners. So I took Raise the Banners in five out of six games on the weekend, and Urgles are really good at raising banners. Because those guys are usually starting in the Raider hanging out with Yankee correct? Uh, I put one in the Raider every game, and he's either Joe who dies when the Raider blows up, or he gets out and springs onto an objective because they move eight so if you're springing out three out of a raider you can get like 11 you can get some good spread you can get onto objectives that you couldn't get onto if you were walking from your deployment zone um that's the key with actually him the witches that are movement 10 uh lets them get on most objectives in the game that are in the midfield turn one to raise a banner and the beastmaster who's m12 so those those four guys the two urgles and the witches and the the beastmaster are like my pretty quick, very hard to deal with, very cheap um, objective racers. Um, so I guess like let's take a ton transition. Um, what's your normal plan for like primaries and secondaries of this army? Because one thing is like if you're if you're playing super far back with dark reapers and cutting angles and wraith seers and an avatar aren't the beacons of obsec. Like, how are you actually scoring primaries, and what secondaries are you building for? Uh, so I pretty much took I took engagement on uh, fronts, you know, every game I played. And, I took, like I said, I took Raise the Banners in five out of six. I even took Raise the Banners in the four-objective game. I just love Raising the Banners. <laughs> now, did you feel that even though you won the tournament, that you brought shame to the dojo because you did promise everyone that you were going to take banners in all every single game, and you oh, he didn't the, against me. And, oh, game. and uh, I had much sadness in my heart that I did not see the amazing banners that you've painted. I was looking forward to seeing that banshee ruling the sky, <clears throat> and it was not to be. No, I mean you do have to make smart choices um <laughs> yeah to make smart choices like, <laughs> so, that was not the game well let's be i mean let's be real and and perfectly honest like nick was probably the best player i played um death guard are a better army they have secondaries they're there's better you know what i mean they are baseline better than Chukari and craft world he also brought all the obsec <laughs> he had a lot of obsec <laughs> Um, and we, the deployment we have, you start really close to each other's objectives. Like there's, there's no like, oh yeah, there's like 24 inches between us. He's slow moving. Yeah. He can't get to him. Like we, you start eight inches away from your opponent's like objectives. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If Sean took banners against me, I get to play a very awesome strategy of do nothing while I win. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and the, the, the mission secondary for that one is too easy right priority targets um we're both going to score 15 on it there's just you know there's almost no way to stop it and like i said uh while we stand we fight which is another one i took in many of my games um aside from i believe the dark eldar matchup and the harlequin matchup because in those two matchups i actually need the hellions to do things and i don't think the Wraith Sears are safe in either of those games. Um, now they didn't really die, but like they're not like safe, safe. You know what I mean? So it's not something that you can count on because of those armies being so fast and so firepower with the um, the Forge World Reapers that were Dark Tanknomancers for the for the for the Jukari player, and with all the Melta pistols that the Harlequin list can take. You just you just can't count on your monsters being alive because they just move too fast and can you unless you're going to literally like sit in a box you're just going to get shot so and because the the hellions can pick up transports and tanks really easily um because both those armies have low armor saves so in, in those games i wasn't taking while we stand fight i think in every other game i did take it because it is it's super convenient if you can control the pace of when things die and i don't think i scored less than um 10 in, in in any in any of those missions and most of the time it, it was 15 um because again the avatar is so funny 
it's just it's hard to get while we stand we fight because you might just come for the avatar to try and get it you're like oh he's while we stand fight and i picked assassinate because sometimes i have five characters people pick assassinate they're like oh yeah i'm gonna go after the avatar i'm like well you know you can stand back up i'm like yeah yeah that's cool i'm like but you can't he'll stand back up (laughs) a lot a lot yeah when i was looking through your army like prepping for the tournament i was like i was hoping you would do what sean normally does which is like Try to pick assassinate against me or something and fight me. But no, when you picked engage in all fronts, assassinate and uh, priority targets, I was like, this is exactly how you need to play it. There's no, you can sacrifice birds and air ghouls all day to get engaged, and you can sit in the back with your Wally Stanley fights and you score 15 on priority. And that's 45 secondary points that, you know, maybe not priority targets every mission, but then you take banners instead. You can, you can pretty much get a lot of points guaranteed out of your list, which I really like. And it's very subtle. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think that's because um, you look at like our score, right? Um, with priority targets and both of us taking while we stand, we fight. I think, uh, I think our final was like something like in the '90s to the '80s. Like, yeah, all, 90s to all, 80s. all that game is: can somebody leverage one flip, one one, like, 15, one, one fifteen point thing. primary yeah. turn, one take away one of the while we stand, we fights. Um, so, like, I think that happened in our game. Is I killed the Terminators, which was a while we stand we fight, and in that same next turn, I got fifteen on primary. So then that created the space in our game, and then from that point on, I just ran away. You just yeah, stood around. Yeah, had already the- blown up my shooting, so I couldn't catch back up. Like you run away, and I can't catch you on Death Guard. So you took a five point points lead or ten point points lead, and then you just yeah. pissed now, off. As far as I was going to go into uh, army matchups on that, or would we like to wait until the second part? No, that, that's all for part two. We'll go through them all in detail. But yeah, um, I do want to ask Sean, was there anything like this is a hodgepodge of units and I'm sure you didn't just pick up the codex one day and write this masterpiece and was like, this is it. Like there had to be testing things you tried, things that didn't work out. If someone wants to try this and put their own big brain cap on and improve upon it, Maybe save them the heartache and tell them some of the stuff you tried that didn't work out, and kind of like what other stuff you'd consider. It's not even so much that didn't work out. Um, I tried MSU Shining Spears a bunch, like two squads of three. I think they're really, really good against Marines. So if you play against a bunch of Marines in your meta, um, they're a lot less good against Death Guard because uh, damage reduction and all that, um, and certain Dark Angel builds. Again, if they if they're running the, the, the damage. Re- so it's, it depends on what you see in your meta. But if you're playing a lot of Marines, they are really, really good. Um, I know Brad hates the Hellions and what? hopes they die in a trash fire. But like, um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking you, about, you man. Took out, I, and I think that the the strategies with the the Avatar Kane are something that goes into how I play the list. But if you took out the Hellions and the Avatar Kane, you actually gain a lot of points, and maybe you can toss in a. Uh, third wraith seer just because they're just so solid and um either some shining spears or you know some more uh drukari either like a second second unit of incubi or something like that um because i've I've run back and forth with two units incubi or you know incubi with drazar it's it's all very fun there's all very various options um based on where you are and what kind of stuff you play against a lot yeah, makes sense to me. I mean, that's just, there's so many options in Eldar. I mean, a lot of people are down on them because they have, they're kind of dealing with a relatively dated codex now, but they don't have the raw efficiency that they used to. I mean, a lot of players are used to, I'm going to double shoot my Dark Reapers and triple in my Shining Spears and just end the game or shoot you off the table with my Eldar planes. Now it's a much more meticulous, calculated, precise finesse game. And I think that's actually how Eldar were always meant to be played. So I'm all about it. Yeah, and the thing to remember is that you, I mean, you look at my list, and like you said, I don't have obsec because our obsec is just bad. Like it's oh, our so bad, worst in the game. I, like so, I, it's I don't think it's worth you know exploring or going down that route. It's just trying to learn how to play without it and just take more of the the damage dealing units and you know set yourself up for scoring in that in that way by you know bullying bullying around the board with them instead of trying to beat people at an obsec game when their obsec is actually useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it was really interesting. When I saw your list, I saw there was a unit of five witches as her obsec, and I'm like sitting here with my 60 box walkers and five plague brains. I'm like, clearly, this is my advantage. Obviously, you're faster, you shoot harder, you can pick those combats, but at the end of the day, I can stand on the objectives and you have to kill me off. So 
Uh, kudos to you for writing a list that can actually do it that way. A lot, you know, a lot of people are trying to increase the amount of OPSEC to doing it on a different path. Yeah, you know me. I've always hated troops. Like, <laughs> it's true. It's true. What was it I said to you before our game? Uh, something about you're always trying to kill something. You're always trying to kill something. <laughs> um, that's and that's the biggest thing for me is in ninth is I've actually I think I've gotten more patient than I ever was because I think if you overextend in ninth is it's really bad, um, and I think yeah. I've gotten more patient than I you know ever was, but like I still. Every once in a while, I, I just have to punch something in the face. Like, <laughs> you, you have to throw a far steer into my deployment zone. Yeah. You just have you to. You still do have the most. I love the fact that it took Sean till ninth edition to realize the shooting phase existed. As the game went more melee centric than it's ever been, Sean finally gets a super shooty army. <laughs> uh, now it's the melee edition, so Sean's going to practice up his Tau. <laughs> <laughs> I just love everything about that fact. You're just like, yeah, you guys heard about the shooting phase? Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Dark Reapers are a good unit. <laughs> I, I, I've played Eldar since 2001. Um, the last three, four months is the first time I've ever used Dark Reapers. <laughs> and you That's played so during great. the time as a double shooting Dark it's, Reapers. It's, it's so funny. It's like the heyday of the close combat phase in ninth edition you're just like you know what i'm so anti-meta i'm doing shooting now <laughs> i can't be stopped sean maiden will not go with the flow <laughs> no uh i think that that sums it up though i mean it's it's, it's a very counter meta list it's very cleverly designed to look unassuming and look unimpressive but when you actually get to the nuts and bolts of it all, it's a it's a win factory it just scores all of its points and ignores the opponent while tabling them like it's like what my death card do but faster and shootier and it makes me sad <laughs> it makes me sad um chester was there anything else you want to ask sean before we go over into part two no, I've got a lot of questions for part two, so I hope everybody joins us on that one because I want to really get. I've got a lot of questions because for the the army design and the matchups and stuff and the thoughts going into that. Certainly, I want to thank you all for listening and thank you guys, Sean and Brad, for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Remember, everyone, we are now on our own, our own special snowflakes over on the Art of War. You can find us on theartofwar40k.com. You can download part one for free. You can download part two uh, if you get access to it. It's either part of the worm or your own subscription. Highly recommend checking out because we're going to go into all the individual matchups, the good, the bad, the weird, all in part two. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.